Well, this morning I want to take you back into the Gospel of Matthew. We will be finishing up, not today, probably not the next Sunday, but eventually we're going to get it all finished up. Uh, we, As you recall, I, I, I went through the rest of the Gospel so that we could focus on the passion of Christ and, and do it in a timely manner and, and, and focus on those passages related to the passion of Christ. But to do that, I jumped over the Olivet Discourse, chapter 24-25. And so now we're coming back to chapter 24, and we'll be walking through this segment of the Word of God. And I am very, very humbled, because anytime preachers dabble in the area of eschatology, we realize that that can be um, a dangerous territory, because there's all a wide variety of, of, of various opinions and interpretations and, and, uh, and positions and so I, I go into this message with great humility and fear and trepidation before the Lord because I realize that uh, this is a, a very challenging portion of the Word of God when you start dealing with end time uh, scriptures. And so um, as we do, let's, let's just take a moment and commit this message. And you're hearing the message and it's speaking to our hearts to the Lord. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. We thank you that it is divinely inspired. And that, Lord, it is absolutely true. And, Lord, it humbles us to handle the word of God. In doing so, we realize that this is very much the very mind of God and the will of God in the word of God expressed to humanity. And Lord Jesus, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide as we open up this powerful portion of Your Word. I pray, Lord, that You will hold me up as I preach this segment. And Lord, I pray that You hide me humbly behind the cross. That You be in the forefront. That the message that You want Your people to hear and to contemplate and by faith to integrate into their lives, Lord, that You will do that by the work of Your Holy Spirit here today. We thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, who among us, after surveying the moral calamity in our own society, the volatile state of our world, the rampant spread of evil, yes, violence across our nation. Who among us would not find yourself thinking, if not even praying, the words of the Apostle John in the very last verses of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. There in chapter 22, verse 20, just after Jesus makes the statement, the resurrected Christ says, Surely, I am coming quickly. And John's response, right on the heels of that, and probably your response and my response when we look at the evil world in which we live, John said, even so, come Lord Jesus. And that is, I believe, the humble prayer of all of us as Christians as we contemplate the state of the world in which we find ourselves, and knowing that the Scripture teaches that Jesus is coming again. The sooner the better. Amen? 
It would be great if He came today. And as we look in chapter 24, uh, let me do just a, a brief recap. You may recall that Jesus has exited the temple complex for the last time. He's already pronounced judgment upon the city of Jerusalem with a great deal of grief because He knows what will befall the city in about 40 years. 40 years from that time as the Romans come in to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus and His disciples go up on the Mount of Olives. Hence, this discourse is called the Olivet Discourse. And they're looking down upon the temple. I don't know why I'm creaking. It's not my bones. It's the mic. But as they're looking down upon the temple complex, the disciples are marveling over what a massive structure it is. Even one stone hewn out of a, a, a quarry and, and brought many miles weighs multiple tons. And it's, 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 it's a beautiful structure. It's a magnificent structure. Historians say that the temple of the Jewish people to their God was indeed one of the great wonders of the world. And so... They're just marveling over the temple. In fact, Mark says in chapter 13 of his gospel rendition, his, the, the disciples are saying to Jesus, Teacher, see what manner of stones, what buildings are here. Just look at this beautiful complex, Jesus. And in chapter 24, Jesus says in verse 2, in response to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that shocked them. And hence, this, this begins to spark in the minds of the disciples all kinds of thoughts that we'll see in verse 3. Because it says, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately. So you've got the inner circle. They're huddling up around the Lord. He said something that has caught their attention. He said something that really has riveted their minds to what they have been looking forward to all along. And that is the establishment of the kingdom of God that Jesus has been speaking of from the very beginning of His ministry. So what you see now is the disciples are yearning to know. They want to know a couple of things. Two quick questions they asked the Lord. Tell us, when will these things be? Number one, the destruction of the temple. When is it going to happen, Lord? Is it tomorrow? Is it the next week? Is it a month from now? They really want to know. But then the next question they ask is, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So the, Jesus answers the questions in reverse order. He, he focuses, first of all, talking about their questions related to the destruction of the temple. You see, the disciples related the destruction of the temple to Jesus establishing Himself on His throne. And just like the prophets of old 
and the teachings of, the, of Ju- Judaism of that day, they believed the Messiah was coming, but they believed that when He came, it was just one time. That while He was here, through a, a succession of events, great, phenomenal, supernatural events, He would establish Himself on the throne. He would overthrow the enemies of Israel and establish Israel as the nation of God and there would be the moment that He would reign. And the disciples were thinking, if He's on the throne, then that means we are in our positions of honor. We will have our positions of power and influence. So when Jesus mentioned the destruction of the temple, immediately they're thinking this could be the cathartic or catalytic moment. This could be. Something as big as the destruction of the temple complex will surely get the attention of the nations. This has surely got to be something related to our enemies. And so therefore, this has got to be the moment that the Lord is going to set up His throne. And so they're thinking in that direction. Their assurance of the kingdom's imminent establishment is in their minds. They're thinking that if Jesus is saying the temple is going to be destroyed, then it's imminent. It's any moment now. And so they have this sense of the immediacy of Jesus's establishing His throne. But it also, the, their yearning to know relates to the Messiah's triumphant return. What are the signs? What are the signs here, Lord, that You are going to establish things right now? That You'll return as a King, maybe in a couple of days, maybe in a month, but, but surely there are some signs. And it's interesting that the disciples missed a key clue Early in the ministry of Jesus. Hold your place there in Matthew's Gospel and go over to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. You may recall that as Jesus visiting in a local synagogue in His hometown, Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And in chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is reading out of the book of Isaiah. And I went back, and you can too. You can hold your place in Luke chapter 4 and hold your place in Matthew 24. And you can even turn back to Isaiah chapter 61 and see the original um, context from which Jesus is reading. But while you were looking at Luke chapter 4, Jesus read these words about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And what did He do? He stopped. He closed the scroll. Handed it back. And he says, This day, this prophecy, this scripture is fulfilled before you. Now, if you look back in Isaiah chapter 61, in Jesus stopped halfway through verse 2. As soon as it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, Jesus stopped reading because the very next statement in chapter 2 of Isaiah 61 goes on to say, and now it says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus stopped abruptly short of introducing 
the theme of the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Why? Because he knew in his ministry that he came, he was coming twice. The first time he would come was to do just what he talked about. To preach liberty to the captives, to heal and to comfort. But he would be coming again. After his death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven, there would be a second coming of the Messiah. The disciples were clueless to this. They missed that point. And hence they're thinking that Jesus is going to establish his throne right here, right now. It's imminent. It's any moment. And so they're saying, Lord, just show us a sign. They're good Jews, aren't they? Because the Jews are always looking for a sign. The Pharisees pestered Jesus, just show us a sign. Give us some sign to prove that you are who you say you are. And so it's only to stand to reason that his disciples would make a request and say, "We give us what kind of a sign? What should we look for? And they maintained that thinking, that mindset, even over into Acts chapter 1, just prior to Jesus' ascension into heaven, just prior to Him uh, giving them the Great Commission, Jesus they were asking Jesus, Lord, give us a sign. What, what will be a sign that, that you are ready to come right back? Little did they know that there would be a pause. There would be a, 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 a segment of years between the time that Jesus would leave in the ascension and His coming again. So we see the, the disciples are wanting to know. They're yearning to know because they're, they know there's something in it for them. They're thinking there's got to be something in it for us. If we just hang in here when Jesus is on the throne, we're going to be in great position then. We'll be rich, we'll be powerful, we'll be prominent because He'll be the King of all the world. And after all, we are His closest friends. Now Jesus moves on in chapter 24 to answer them. And like I said, He will answer in the reverse order. He's not going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple. He's going to talk about His second coming. And so sitting there with His disciples closing rank around Him, Jesus begins to talk about signs. And so as we look at what the Lord says, Jesus is first of all warning. He gives a warning for believers of the church age. That's you and me. From the time that Jesus ascended and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down upon those first believers and the church was established for 2,000 years, we have been living in an age of the grace of God, not under the law. And we have been living in the age of the church. Israel had failed as a nation in their mission to bring the world to God and God was now extending His covenant to those who would believe upon His Son, Jesus Christ. The church. It would be made up of Jews, and yet it would also be made up of Gentiles. And Jesus gives this warning. Now, as oftentimes in prophecy, you'll find that it could have more than one fulfillment. Jesus is speaking about those of us who live in the church age. These are signs that you and I will see. These are signs that the church has seen down through the years. And we need to be careful. First of all, Jesus says in verse 4, He answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus knew that there would be many who would come along who would seek to mislead the followers of Christ, the church, if you will. 
He said, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. We know that there were false Christ even before Jesus came on the scene. There were people making claims to be the Messiah and proved not to be. There were those that came along shortly after Jesus. All through the church age there have been, even today, even today there are those who come on the scene who try to elevate themselves so as to usurp the position of Christ. I remember on a trip to Kenya when we were there, Wendy, you may recall this, there was talk all through the villages in that particular area, region where we were working, of, of a man that had, had asserted himself as, as Jesus, as, as the, the Messiah. He was an African version of Messiah. And, and he had been arrested by the local police because he'd been preaching. He had been thrown into jail. He was, he was persecuted, so the story goes. And lo and behold, he died. But according to the stories that were running around the communities, he came to life again. That's right. He came to life again. And, and when he appeared before the people, guess what? He was white now. I guess that's relative to being sanctified or whatever. And so, but, but you see how stories, get, and, and later it certainly was proved to be heretical and false, but, but it was amazing how many people fell for that. And Jesus is warning. So, these kinds of signs, Jesus is warning the people off. And if you look down through that, we'll just read down through. Jesus is saying, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. We know that even in the time of Jesus, there was pestilence, there was famines before Jesus, after Jesus, down through the ages and the history of the church. We know that there have been pestilences, famines, there have been earthquakes, massive earthquakes, just killer earthquakes, if you will. There have been wars, there have been many wars that have broken out down through the past 2,000 years. These, are not, these things are nothing new. And Jesus' message to the church, to the body of Christ during the church age is, be careful. Don't take these signs to mean that I'm coming again. These signs in the church age are just normal things that happen in a fallen world. Earthquakes occur in a fallen world. So do storms and pestilence and famine. So do wars and so do rumors of war. These are all the result of living in a sinful, fallen world. And Jesus is warning His disciples to be careful. Verse 9, He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations. You know, Jesus had already told His disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he says, look, they're going to drag you up before the councils, before the synagogues. They'll flog you. They'll beat you. They will hate you because they hate me. This was nothing brand new. Verse 10, he says, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. That happens in the church and has happened down through the years where Christians turn on Christians, false believers infiltrate the church. Then it says many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And there have been false teachers. There are false teachers. Just look around the landscape of religion today and you'll find a number of false religions. You'll find a number of cults that have been started by people who claim to be prophets. 
specially anointed by God. These are things that happen in a fallen, sinful world. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You know, it's hard to find true, sincere, loving people in a world as sinful and immoral and selfish and self-centered as our society is. Have you noticed that? People have love, but unfortunately it's love for themselves. And Jesus says, these kinds of things will happen, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Jesus is saying, be careful, church. Be discerning, church. Don't be misled, church. Stay true to the Word. But then as you also consider that Jesus is warning, these prophecies, these signs are given to a group of believers who will be here during that time we know in the Scriptures as the Great Tribulation. A time in the Bible that the book of Daniel tells us, in fact, in chapter 12, let me go back there, Daniel speaks about this time that the world will endure. He says, at that time, Michael will stand up and the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people and there shall be a time of trouble. This is Daniel chapter 12, verses 1. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. So, there will be a group of believers here on this earth who will be enduring Great hardship according to the prophecies of the Word of God. And Jesus is also utilizing these words of warning. Everything that is there in chapter 24, beginning there with verse 4 and going down, if you think in terms of the intensification, these are normal things in the way we experience them, but during the great tribulation time, you will see that these things will, will be almost like birth pains. Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, talking about the, the end time. Paul's speaking here in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, talking of the day of the Lord, just before Jesus comes again, because there will be signs that will announce the return of Christ to the world. Jesus' second coming. And let me clarify that. When He comes and sets foot on this, on this world, when He comes in power and in glory, when He comes with the agenda of, of bringing the wrath and judgment of God upon evil, and when He comes to establish His reign on the earth. Paul says in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains 
upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. Paul says, when the time comes and the great tribulation time is beginning, he says, you will see these signs begin with the, with the pattern of, of, of labor. Now, I don't stand before you to profess to be an expert in childbirth. Though I was trained in the Lamaze technique with my sweet wife, Jan, and I, she would attest that she never could have made it without me. But in the Lamaze process, you, the husband has an active role in eating snacks and encouraging his wife. And I did that very good. Telling her how to breathe, but they gave me a very good point, a very good word of wisdom. They said, don't get within arm's reach of her. This sweet childbearing woman will become a vicious killer. And I remember at one point looking into her eyes as I'm saying, honey, breathe. You know, and she's, I, I, if, I believe in demon possession. But, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but anyway, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on birthing children. I'm like that little slave girl in Gone with the Wind. Lord, Miss Scarlett, I don't know nothing about birthing no babies. But I do know this. That the onset of labor pains comes at the very end of the pregnancy. The onset of labor pains begin somewhat gradual and then begin to build in their uh, frequency and certainly in their intensity all the way up to the birth. And Paul is saying at that time, these signs will begin to occur and they will be with increasing frequency. They will begin with great, in, or they will continue with great intensity. And so the signs that Jesus is speaking of there have their imminent or ultimate fulfillment in His second coming. I need to introduce you to yet another passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians if you go over to chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. Because what about the church? I believe that the church won't go through the tribulation period because the tribulation period is a time of God pouring out His wrath upon a sinful, rebellious, evil world. I believe that God will take care of the church. He will remove us from the scene. And so in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he's concerned, they're all concerned about what's happened to, to all our loved ones who've died. And, and, and if Jesus comes, won't they miss Him? Because they're expecting Him any minute. Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, they won't miss their idea with Him. And when He comes again, they will be with Him. But He's not talking about His second coming. In Jesus' second coming, He will come to the earth. We believe He will reign from Jerusalem. He will establish an earthly reign. We call the millennial reign that is for a thousand years. But you'll notice what Paul is saying here doesn't fit that description. In verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, who have died. 
For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's physical bodies that are still here and there remains, whatever form on the earth, will be reunited with souls to make the completion of a resurrected body. Look at verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, and hence from the Latin, that word rapture, taken up immediately, instantly, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. In other words, at that moment, when is it going to happen? I don't know. What will be the signs that the rapture is about to occur? Guess what? There are no signs. The Lord will come as a thief in the night. I don't know about you. Most thieves I've ever read about don't use a sentence postcard and say, I'll be visiting your house next Thursday about five in the morning. No, no. They just come. They come in the night. They sneak in. It's just like that. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24, 44. We'll look at it later. But it talks about it. You just make sure you're ready. Because nobody knows the hour. And so... I believe that according to the teachings of the Scriptures that the church is indeed raptured, removed from the face of the earth. Now just imagine a world without the presence of the body of Christ. You realize that the body of Christ is inhabited by the Spirit of God. You multiply the presence and the power of the Spirit of God abiding in all the believers of all the Christian denominations that truly believe in Jesus Christ. And imagine all that removed from the face of the earth. And imagine the kind of world that that leaves. If you think evil is running rampant today, ladies and gentlemen, what's left after the rapture sets the stage for the great tribulation. Because Satan will be unleashed like he's never been unleashed before. Powers of demons with powers, as the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel prophesy, will cause the average man or woman to shake in their boots and to tremble, to think this is going to actually happen. But let me just say this. I realize that this concept of the rapture is a relatively new concept in evangelical Christianity. I acknowledge that. I realize that some of the best, most solid biblical pastors and theologians in Christendom today don't share my interpretation on the, the rapture. And, and I fully respect that. That's why the statement by the 17th century theologian Rupertus Melodinus, who said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. But when you talk about eschatology and you talk about end times, ladies and gentlemen, you'll find all a wide variety from both ends of the spectrum of interpretations about when Jesus is coming back, when will the tribulation occur, you know, when will the rapture occur. My goodness, there are people that don't even agree on exactly when the raptures are going to occur. Is it going to occur before the tribulation? So we, those are pre-tribs. <laughs> is it going to occur in the middle of the tribulation? Those are mid-tribs. Or post-trib. Then you have all millennials, pre-millennials. So I'm just saying, that's a sign, isn't it? I'm just saying that in, in humility, I present. This is my position with great respect and appreciation for those who, who don't maybe share my view. And I humbly concede 
to them that on our way up during the rapture, I promise I won't say I told you so. But what, what is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that these will be prevalent, dynamic signs. You won't mistake the second coming of Jesus if you are on this earth. The rapture occurs instantaneously without warning. You don't know. I don't look, don't fall. That's why Jesus says, look, don't fall for these people who come and say, I'm the Christ. I'm the new, the new Messiah. I'm the new modern version of Jesus. Jesus says, don't. Don't fall for the false prophets because there will be plenty who are trying to say, oh yes, I have been given a revelation by God and we've had these people. I remember back in 1988, some of you probably bought the little book that came out, a paperback. Some self-proclaimed theologian that worked out a formula based on all the teachings of prophecy and it done a numerical formula and lo and behold, Jesus was going to come in the rapture in 1988. I knew that was a lie from the get-go. Because Jesus is not going to tell you when the rapture is going to occur. It's going to, you better just be ready. You know, that's Jesus' message to Christians. Don't be so concerned about looking for a date and looking for a sign and, and setting, you know, the, the message for the church is just what he says, and we'll look at it in Matthew 24, 44. He says, you just be ready. Doesn't that make sense? We should live our lives every day as if this would be the day the Lord would call, either call us home by death and we stand face to face with Him, or if He does rapture us. Listen, the main thing is you don't want to find, you don't want Jesus to find you doing things that you would be ashamed for Him to see or to be aware of. Be ready. Be ready. But then as we look at the signs that signal His imminent return to the earth, the signs that foreshadowed the church age in a smaller dimension will be intensified like Paul was talking about. When these signs begin, and they will begin, when the church is removed, and that great period that Daniel was talking about there in Daniel chapter 12, that the world, he says, listen, the world has seen troubles, but in that day there will be troubles the world has never experienced, has never struggled through. Why? Because the wrath of righteous and holy God is going to be poured out upon sinful humanity. You're saying, well, pastor, does that mean it's just going to be all lost, wicked people? No, miraculously people will be saved during the tribulation. Miraculously, the nation of Israel will come back to Christ. They will see Him as their true Messiah just like prophesied by Zechariah and other prophets. Oh, but these will be hard times. These will be terribly dark times. And once the signs begin, they will be, as Paul said, just like the beginning of labor pains. They will begin mildly, but then they will increase in their frequency. They will increase in their intensity, and you will be hit one after another, after another, after another. If you go over, you don't have to turn now, but I preached through a series on Revelation and Daniel a few years ago, and you, and you know, in, Dan, in Revelation chapter. 6 through 16, you find the judgment of God being poured out upon the earth with the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. Terrible things. The world landscape will be obliterated. Third of the life in the sea will be destroyed. 
human life, a, a big segment of human life will be wiped out. There will be, you, you just need to read it. Cataclysmic. Horrific. The magnitude of the destruction as God pours out His wrath upon this earth during that great tribulation time. And during that time, if you go back and look, Jesus said, during that time, like never before, there will be those false messiahs. There will be people coming on the scenes who are saying, turn to me, look to me, I'm the Christ, I'm the hope, I'm the one, I'm the deliverer. And Jesus is saying, during that time also, you will hear of wars. Listen, you think we have trouble now. You think there's international volatility today. In the Great Tribulation, there will be a great turning of nations against nations, kingdoms against uh, kingdoms. There will be instability. There will be widespread war. And there will be rumors of war during that time like never seen before. Nations will rise up against nations, Jesus says, and kingdoms against kingdoms. And all of this will be occurring as the wrath of God is poured out upon the vegetation and upon the life, uh, whether that be animal life or human life, and the great suffering as demons are being unleashed upon the face of the earth and inflicting terrible pain. Listen, Jesus says, listen, during that time, He says there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Listen, you go back and you read in Revelation and you read the description of some of the earthquakes that take place. Mountains will be moved from their foundation. Islands will disappear. The whole face of the earth will be reshaped because of the magnitude of some of these earthquakes. Meteors will be crashing in like mountains from space and just obliterating life as it crashes upon the earth like atomic bombs. And people will be enduring this, Jesus said, during that time. What impact will this have upon those? Jesus said in verse 8, And these are the beginnings of sorrow. All the world will experience sorrow like they haven't experienced. But the, the amazing thing is with even the judgment of God being unleashed upon the earth, it will be amazing how people's hearts will be so hardened against God they won't turn to God. They will, they will curse Him. They will reject Him even in that time. In verse 9, what about, what about those who are in the church? Those who are believers at that point? In verse 9 in chapter 24, Jesus prophetically speaking of the time of the great tribulation, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Believers will be persecuted from the outside. If you're a believer, you will have a hard time living the Christian life in the midst of the world during the Great Tribulation. You, you think the church is persecuted today. Wait till the whole world turns on believers. They, the world will so despise and hate holy God that anyone representing God will be an automatic target. And he says in verse 10, And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. There will be false believers in the midst of the flock. There will be people that are planted inside of the believers who will turn and they will betray the, the faithful. And then he said in verse 11, Then will many false prophets, they will rise up and deceive many. Think we got cults now? Thank you, God, false religions. During the Great Tribulation, Jesus is warning, there will be widespread false religion. There will be a false religious church referred to in, in the prophets of, uh, prophecies of Revelation as the, as the great harlot Babylon. 
False religion will be the, 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 the mode of the day. And because, he says, of, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Living on the earth during the tribulation, during that time when the, the, the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit has been minimized, people's hearts will... You think people are loveless now. You think people are cold now. In that time, Jesus is speaking of prophetically. He says, "There won't be. love will be an unfound quality unless you just happen to be fortunate enough to be in the midst of true believers." He says, "Their love, the love of many people, will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved." Does that mean that you are saved by being faithful? Does that mean that Jesus is saying that you have to earn your way? to salvation during the Great Tribulation? No. The same formula for salvation, justified, as Sister Marjorie sang about, justification as we talk today. Listen, the only way to come to Christ to be saved is through faith, by the grace of God. So what is He saying? Jesus is saying that, listen, the times are going to be so hard, so trying, so difficult. It will be a time of testing. Only those who are truly followers of Christ will make it to the end. You're talking about a weeding out process. There will be plenty, just like today, who profess to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the claim to be a part of the church. But my goodness, you let something happen. You let somebody get the feelings hurt. You let something disturbing happen. Man, they start departing. Jesus says in that day, only those who are true believers will make it to the end. The false, false believers, they'll either betray True believers, they'll be martyred. Or false believers will just leave and, and turn to the false religions of the world. But only those who make it to the end, Jesus says, are the true believers. Then I want to look in closing at the last sign Jesus is speaking of. Then in Mark, I mean Matthew 24, verse 14, He says, In this Gospel of the Kingdom, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the, the nations, and then the end will come. You say, wait a minute, that, that can be a sign of now. And sometimes religious leaders and sometimes evangelical organizations will say, you know what? We're going to fulfill this sign. We're going to preach the Gospel to all the nations. And, and grant it through the the. The, the wonderful gift of, of, of media and technology, satellite transmissions and, and all of that, the Gospel is going out like never before. But it won't touch every person on the face of the earth. Do you realize there are still billions, not millions, but billions of people living on this 21st century modern contemporary earth that have never heard the Gospel. And I think it's interesting that when you go over to Revelation in chapter 14, God does it in one swoop. In one swoop. In Revelation, and this is during the tribulation period toward the end. John, right in the Revelation, chapter 14, verse 6 he says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. To what? Every nation. 
tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Who in the right mind would turn God down then? The gospel will be preached by one majestic angel, one majestic voice, able to be seen and heard by every living creature on the face of the earth. God is without fault. He will be without fault. Nobody will ever be able to say, in that time, we didn't know. And yet, as you read further in Revelation, you'll find that many don't respond. Why? How could it be? The Gospel's been preached by a celestial angel. How is it possible? It's the same way it's possible today. For people to sit in the comfort of their living rooms and hear an evangelist like Billy Graham preach simply and plainly the Gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ over and over and they continually reject and reject. How is it possible? Paul said it. He said it in 2 Corinthians. They are blinded. Spiritually blinded by our adversary. And their hearts are so hardened that no amount of preaching or teaching or witnessing will penetrate. And so as Jesus is pointing His disciples ahead, in a historical way, He's saying to them and all the believers who would follow in the age of the church, don't get enamored by trying to set a time. Don't get deceived by so-called signs. Certainly don't be misled by false Christ, the false prophets, stay in the Word of God and make sure you are ready. That's what He's saying to us. But to another group of believers, bless their heart, who will be on the face of this earth when you and I are gone, they'll go back and they'll read this in a very different way. Because as the beginning of the tribulation begins, it'll be like labor pains. And they'll see it and they'll know. They'll know exactly what's coming next. They'll know what's coming next. They'll be able to see it. And you know when they see these signs, you know what? If they are believers, they will be encouraged. Because they know this is a sign. This means He's coming again. Cheer up. Hold on. Be strong. These are the signs that Jesus spoke of. The Messiah is coming again. It won't be long now. Jesus says those who see these signs in that time, He says they will experience My coming again in that generation. And Jesus, being faithful, as our Good Shepherd prepares you and me to face the future, to face today, and to be faithful, and to be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are indeed complex portions of Your Word. And I humbly pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit take my feeble effort to open up what You are saying through Your divinely inspired Word to the church today. And Lord, that we would be encouraged. But then, Lord, where we need to be chastised, we would be chastised. But Lord, we would make the adjustments in our relationship with You that, Lord, we will be faithful 
Forgive us, Lord, for falling into the trap with so many Christian movements of being more obsessed with setting dates and looking for signs. That wasn't the mo- that wasn't the important thing that you were telling the church to do. For later in chapter twenty-eight, you give us our great commission. We are to be obsessed with sharing the gospel to those who don't know you. We are to be preoccupied with loving you with all of our being and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So that in doing so, Lord, in staying in your word, serving you, worshiping you, Lord, when you come, regardless of whether it's at night, during the day, weekend, during the week, it doesn't matter. The fact is, if we are going about the business of what the church is supposed to be doing, Lord, then we won't have to worry because we're ready. I do confess, Lord, like the Apostle John, I would say, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. But Lord, in Your time, in Your way, and according to Your will, when You come, may we be found to be faithful. And we thank You We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.